Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. A very English scandal. Welcome everyone to Streaming in Place, A Very English Scandal, Season 1, Episode (laughs) 3, titled Episode 3. I'm not Kate Kulzik for the last time, or for at least for the last time for now. Who knows? Do are we gonna make? Does does Noel get to host our next two episodes? I think so. I think that's okay. appropriate. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. great, great. No I pressure. hope there's a hat. I hope you wear a hat or a, a sensible layering cardigan. I mean, I do have a sensible layering cardigan and do a trench coat. Should I wear both at the same time? Well, one one day and one the other. I don't actually have a trench coat. We should actually (laughs) let the listeners know what we're doing tomorrow because it has shifted. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Before we get into um, the end of a very English scandal, which we are going to combine talking about this final hour with talking about the series overall um, with our pals who are hanging out with us in the Zoom today. Um, Before we do that, what we're doing over the next two days. um, Tomorrow, we are... Hosted by Noel Kirkpatrick, we are going to watch the pilot for Columbo. <laughs> and then the day after that, we are going to watch the pilot for Murder, She Wrote. And now anytime we have a gap in anything, we'll just watch the pilot of a long-running detective series. Mm-hmm. Or lawyer. Or yeah. both. Something. 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 Yeah. We should watch the Perry Mason pilot if we can find it. Yeah, that that's not a That would be a good like, pop culture thing. Or the pilot of Perry Mason Returns, mm-hmm. which is or also... we can find the pilot of Mrs. Columbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we could also, we could do Poirot. Mm-hmm. That would be great. We could Sherlock drop Holmes. in, yes, Miss Marple. Mm-hmm. Oh, please don't make me watch the Sherlock pilot. Actually, you know what? It no, might no, be no, good. no, 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 not the Sherlock, Sherlock pilot. Okay. No, no, Jeremy Brett. Jeremy Brett. <laughs> okay, okay. Great, thank you. On this podcast, we stand Jeremy Brett because okay. I hate Stephen Moffat at this well, point. Well, Johnny Lee Miller, but also Jeremy Brett. Yes, yes, <laughs> obviously, yes. So, listeners, it has been brought to our attention that uh, the Murder She Wrote pilot is two episodes. Also, that our international listeners will not be able to watch Columbo. So, instead, <laughs> Allison, what are we going to do? We're going to do part one of the Murder She Wrote pilot, and then part two of the Murder She Wrote pilot. On successive days. So go ahead and just wear the cardigan, Noel. Okay, I can do that. I mean, um, if it if it helps, if it helps. Okay. The executive producers for Columbo also developed the story for Murder she, the first episodes of Murder She Wrote. So there's a right. connection. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. I need to somewhere in this apartment, I have one of those chains that you put on your glasses so they don't fall off your neck. I don't know where, but I have to find it because that will be my Jessica Fletcher cosplay. Nice. Anyway, life comes at you fast. Murder, she wrote, and then murder, she wrote again. And then Lucifer. (laughs) Oh, my God. Think about how many good jokes we are going to have about how how Jessica Fletcher would solve the murders on Lucifer. Mm -hmm. It's going to be so good. You mean commit the murders on Lucifer and then frame someone else for them? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> because Jessica Fletcher is a serial killer. <laughs> the killer from Cabot Cove. Um, people die when she goes on vacation. I know. Just, no matter where she goes, someone is about to die. It's really, <laughs> it's it's quite a thing. Um, all right. So all right. murder she wrote, murder she wrote. That's what we're doing. Bam, bam. 
All right. Um, but for now, uh, we are going to finish up with a very English scandal. Um, we've got some we've got some cute character names. We've got some overbearing scoring. We've got some really engrossing performances. We've got some memorable meals. We've got a great scene in a discotheque, which, by the way, is a bar where adults congregate to do drugs, which are known as disco biscuits. Let's start with Noel. Noel, what did you think about the big finale for the first season of A Very English Scandal? I'm disappointed that my big takeaway from this is that I feel really bad for David, who went on to become the manager of a roller disco. Oh, David. (laughs) Dear sweet, incompetent David. Look what this man has done to you. (laughs) Sweet? I don't know if we go to sweet, but yes. (laughs) I'm sure Gerald was very happy, but mm-hmm. <laughs> just I, I felt so bad for David, who just became manager of roller disco. You know no, what? Uh, maybe that's maybe he found his bliss. Clearly, he was not he did. cut out for this line of work. So maybe, which, which was poster political fixer. Like it's it was so. a very unclear job what he what he did um, in Parliament for Jeremy Thorpe, but. Yeah, when that flashed off, I just went, oh, man, that is that is rough, buddy. That is dark. <laughs> Aspiring assassin manager, Marcus says, which would also look great on a LinkedIn profile. So I'm going to add that while I'm job hunting to aspiring assassin manager. That, that'll go over well. No, so all bits aside, um, I, I liked this. I liked it more than like the, um, whatchamacallit, the previous episode, which I had liked a lot of tonal issues with. Um, in part because there's less danger <laughs> in this episode than there is in the pre in episode two. So it was a little easier to digest a lot of the stuff, but I also think that this episode gives in particular, um, Hugh Grant, just so much really interesting things to do, um, with really ridiculous things. Um, so everything with that lunch that he gets <laughs> with the pitcher of wine and then just the entire plating for that, I was just like, this is ridiculous and I love it. Um, down to everything Grant's doing and the way that they're shooting Grant when his lawyer is talking about his own like illicit meetups and Grant's just kind of half staring into the ceiling and his chin's like really protruding out and just, you can see gears turning in the correct ways as opposed to in the bad ways when you see actors' gears turning. This is the exact right time to see gears turning and it's really, really good and it's really potent. Um, so overall, I really liked it. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and said my only costuming note, aside from really liking Edna's blue court outfit, which I think is marvelous, is I loved the difference in tie knots and what that said about class and status, um, between Jeremy's Thorpe's teeny tiny little like tie knot and Norman's massive tie knot when he was on the stand. I just went, oh, this this tells us everything you need right there and there. It's just crystal clear. So I like this episode. I like the way the courtroom stuff was handled. Um, and it felt like a generally satisfactory conclusion. Um, and a little bit of a correction from the more farcical death elements of the previous episode. So mm-hmm. that's how I felt. Um, broad view. Kate, how did you feel? Yeah, I really liked this episode. I think I... I'm. I'm not sure if I like if I had to rank them. I definitely think the middle is the the least successful. Um, but I think as a whole it really comes together. I don't know if I like yes. the first or the last one 
better, but I did really enjoy it. And, um, and yeah, it's like you were saying, Allison, that you can see after the third one, you can kind of see what they're doing throughout the second one. So I think it definitely works better as a whole than as like individual uh, pieces. So, so yeah, I, I thought the, again, I was just so impressed by the performances, by even the writing at the, you know, I was searching up how accurate is this and basically like all the plot points are accurate, but of course we can't know motivations or what they were saying behind closed doors. Those are all imagined. But um, I thought that they made the, court case very compelling i thought they really did a great job with that part of it and i was i'm just so curious how accurate that is you know that's the part that i most want to know like did they nail it because there's some part you're watching this and you're like this is this is real this happened like all of this like and yes obviously it is and but it's just like there's certain elements of when you're watching the trial going like but they had to have, you know, blown this up a bit, right? And then, and then you watch at the end of the credits when they show the comedians, like parodying the judge. Marcus says the judge was the worst. It's like it's so over the top. And then you see comedians at the time being like, "You are, you need to do whatever you want to do to come back with a verdict of not guilty," right? Uh, so clearly, no, that's not exaggerated for effect. That it was the popular, at least. Um, interpretation at the time and certainly you know not that much later i mean obviously this was a massive scandal but i don't imagine people are doing that stand-up bit like years and years down the line it wouldn't be fresh in the same way you know so like yeah it was it was very very compelling um i understand all of the awards and very glad we watched it and i look forward to the conversation yeah um i'm so glad that you brought up the judge's speech because i feel like Part of the reason that I think I um, struggled with the tone a little bit less than you guys is that when I watched this initially, I binged it, right? And that scene sort of unlocked all the rest of it for me because it is so horrifying. It's such a miscarriage of justice. It's so wrong. It leaves you with very little doubt about what is going to happen. And it is also just you can't help but laugh at it because there's zero subtlety. It's one of those situations, as we were talking about with the first episode, where you'd be like, this is ridiculous. This is too much. I can't possibly believe this, except for it really happened. Um, So it's, uh, you know, a lot like Tina Fey doing Sarah Palin, where sometimes all you have to do is actually just say what happened. And then that is both horrifying and very, very funny. Um, and I think that that is really the place where this show lives and it does wobble sometimes. Sometimes it goes a little bit too much, particularly in the farcical direction. I think in this episode, it goes like a little far at the end, um, when we get our like, uh, Forrest Gump music for lack of a better term, when all of a sudden it feels (laughs) like, like a feather is about to float down. Um, but when it doesn't, stray on either side when it's walking i when it's walking a knife edge like jeremy thorpe um it there's something really special that happens and i and i just feel like it's i don't know um there's the in a lot of queer art you find this manifestation of um darkness and tragedy with camp and humor and those things live together and and i think that 
A Very English Scandal does that really, really well, particularly in that sequence and in the just magnificent court testimony of Norman Scott. So maybe let's talk about Ben Wishaw for a minute because holy crap. He's so good. I loved, like, they played it just right with the lawyer when they go out for their, like, uh, break or whatever. He's like, you could have told me that he's incredibly freaking charming and smart. <laughs> like, well, I mean, come on. That was, it was absolutely delightful. Um, And I thought they, you, you know, talking about Wishaw, I thought he really nailed the, the, I mean, at least the character as far as we know, like, as far as going absolutely being wrecked in the bathroom composing himself and still feeling the victory that it was um i thought they just the layers of that and the way it was and not it's not like he like cried it out and then he was fine it's like he's feeling this and he's also able to be in the moment right now and appreciate and, and win over the 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 gallery appreciate actually being heard and being seen. Um, I thought it was, I mean, that, and that's another one of those things where it's like, it feels writerly, but like Marcus was saying earlier in the comments, wait, these gotta be based. There's gotta be some sort of transcript, right? There's gonna be some level of like based on true with like actually what happened in the trial. So that was also really um, like what, where it's normally I'd be like, Oh, okay. It's, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if life was actually like that? With this, I get to go like, oh, apparently life was actually at least somewhat like this. And isn't that wonderful <laughs> for poor Norman Scott? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, and it's good that you get that scene because it's really um, his last little bit in this entire series, really, because he's kind of on the sidelines of everything else in this episode, uh, given the focus on the trial and unraveling of the murder scheme. Um, <laughs> such as it is and yeah no and I, I, a lot of it is just boils down to again class differences of underestimating things um like also probably thorpe's conception is wait i didn't know which norman we would get um without thinking about it necessarily um he probably just assumed they get poor pitiful norman and not vibrant dazzling norman that's going to spar with a guy who got firsts at oxford um <laughs> and like just kind of undercut everything and i really appreciate that that everything with norman is then juxtaposed against everything um with um oh other guy um or bessel bessel um just how bessel just gets completely demolished and Norman's just like, no, nope, I'm good. I've got this whole thing locked and loaded. Um, and Kate, you talked about like this moment of and with like breaks down in the bathroom, but also then goes out and it, you're riding high on that sense of victory. And then you just have to go get another slice of baklava because there is no victory to be, to be had here because the system is disposed against you entirely top to bottom um, down to the fact that you still don't have your national insurance card somehow, mm -hmm. which I don't understand how that is possible. <laughs> but I know nothing about that healthcare system. <laughs> I needed that inclusion at the end. It was <laughs> very good. Yeah, it's um, it's a button so good you could never write it. Um, it's just the it's just terrible and perfect. Um, yeah, I really like the connection that the episode draws between, um 
Norman saying, let's go out and get drunk. And then we see them in the club um, dancing to knock on wood and he's tossing his hair and living his best life. And then is very hungover. And somehow the fear gets sort of, it doesn't go away, but is acknowledged and accepted. And then it's just like, he never left the club, right? Like it's, um, to be very highfalutin, a testament to the the undeniable power of authenticity. Um, when they say that Thorpe could go on the stand and look like a liar, or he could not testify and look like a liar, no matter what, he's almost certainly going to look like a liar because there is like a certain ineffable quality when it comes to authenticity that you just know it when you see it. And that was Norman because he is authentically himself. Um, so that even though there is no victory, that is a victory because yeah. I guess the best revenge is living well, right? Like he is a million times happier and more in control of who he is because he accepts who he is and he accepts um, what the world is and wants it to change, but doesn't have blinders on. Whereas Thorpe's whole existence is blinders. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's certainly also true of his wife. So um, do we want to talk about the cod and par- parsley sauce? Uh, we need to. Uh, I'm just going to, I'll throw in there that I thought strongly of the, was it Abraham Lincoln quote? Better to keep your mouth shut and have people assume you're an idiot than open it and prove them right. Um, which was very much <laughs> the, do you testify or do you not have to testify and have people think that that you're a liar or you're guilty, or do you testify and you will absolutely <laughs> be considered a liar and guilty? So, like, yeah, there's no nothing good that can come out of him testifying, especially at the the point in the trial that we saw. So, yeah, um, yeah, the the cod I've made cod and parsley sauce. The delivery on that was Chef's Kiss. It was so good, and I also appreciated. She's like, I have worked in orchestra. I have toured with orchestras. I know all of these musicians. It's the seventies. Come on, you will not shock me. Uh, delightful. <laughs> First, a cotton, cotton parsley sauce just sounds delicious, <laughs> um, and I want some, please and thank you. I'm hoping it's delicious. It's probably not, um, but I do. I imagine it. it's and all on how you the execution. Yeah, no, a lot. A lot is going to rest on that fish, like mm-hmm. how you how you prepared that fish. Um, the cod's kind of forgiving. Um, yeah, no, all of that is I think really really great, and I like that she gives for this room to be authentic, and Thorpe is like, no, I'm good. I'm good out here. And she's like, mm, okay, bud, that's fine. She's going to stand by you, clearly. Um, but she's giving you this opportunity for alleviation, basically, for this uh, for this chance to just come honest to yourself and to me. And if you're not, that's fine, I guess. But here's an opportunity to do it. Um, so... I think I think it generally works well, and again, I like how they parallel her discussions with Thorpe versus his lawyer's discussions with Thorpe. Again, in mining this kind of idea of being honest with yourself and being honest with just how you conceive of yourself, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's there's good stuff in 
trying to suss that out. And I think the I think that the show does a really nice job of not giving you not giving you an easy out and finding the corp overly sympathetic, even though those quick flashes of those attempts um, create some sympathy, um, but not a lot considering, again, you wanted to kill a man. Yeah, I think it's, I really like that inclusion because I, I agree that I don't think it makes you sympathetic toward Thorpe. But I do think, and I mean this in the intellectual sense, not the touchy-feely sense, that it allows for a level of understanding, like you can comprehend how it is that this person became this monster, right? Because, and and it's it's the world that made him that, along with a lot of very potent character flaws. But it's, um, they have both been brutalized by the same broken world and the same bigotry and the same hatred it's just that one of them took all of that bigotry and hatred and violence and brutality and ended up weaponizing it against other people um and one person specifically who really just wanted his national insurance card um so i I think that that's really smart the um the woman who plays marion um we should shout her out yeah monica dolan who did get a bafta nomination for this performance rightly so i think um our other like warm motherly British character actress of the episode, um, Michelle Detrice. Uh, I, I need to bring her up because Keenan has changed her Zoom name as well to she, her, Edna Friendship is Goat, um, which is uh, true. I love Edna Friendship so much. What a great performance. Noel, you're right. What a great costume. What a great character. I just... It made me very happy that Norman had such a person in his life. Do y'all share my lo- love, my warm, fuzzy feelings? Again, for- you, you couldn't write it. Her name is Friendship. You couldn't make that I up. Know. I know. And if you did, it, the note would be, no, yeah. don't do this. Too much. <laughs> Too much. Dial it back, Davies. Dial it back. <laughs> Friendship has appeared to cheer him on from the, from the, from the gallery when, when Norman's on the stand. Yeah, no, it's great great she's and this one i love that at the end after the verdict is to come in the one voice you can hear over everyone else's is hers there's one voice shouting about a miscarriage of justice and you don't i mean they do show her but you don't even need to see it to know that that's who it is it's so good uh keenan also says the buffoonery of episode two was so so sickening in the same way that the judge's summing up was horrifying yeah i agree um we talked a little bit about Bessel, uh, but I think that's another great turn from Alex Jennings. Called it. <laughs> that that office will never be remodeled. Um, I did not actually know that that's how they found it. Um, honest hand to yeah. God, I did not know that that's how they found it. I just assumed it would be. But yeah, no, as soon as I saw those guys, I was just like, oh, you sweet smug idiot. <laughs> Uh, I love the shot of them sitting on the floor, just like leafing through it. Like what a page turner. (laughs) It's really, it's really, really great. Um, And uh, you know, he, he, he got both what he deserved and some small tiny portion of victory, I think. Right. Like you don't, like we said last week, you don't put, 
Chekhov's briefcase full of incriminating letters in the ceiling if you don't want someone to eventually do construction on your office and find them. Um, so some part of him must have wanted this to come around eventually. Um, mm-hmm. so, and, and again, authenticity wins and he just really didn't have it. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, anything else that you want to touch on before we before we talk about the series as a whole with our pals? I'm trying to think. I'm I'm Kate. Maybe you looked at this. Um, did he end up getting his twenty five thousand pounds? Did Bessel get his twenty five thousand pounds, or did that end up not happening? I did not see I, the, okay. the the things that I saw were were more focused on just the leads. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Uh, um, Keenan says I think he did. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Okay. Yeah, I, I figured he would, but um, I was just curious. Um, I don't have, oh, I know it's not a lot, but that whole thing of why were they Welsh is just <laughs> yeah, so good. And again, the show's very kind of subtle deployment of um, class and nationality um, in that case as well. I think it's just really delightful. Um, I'm sure that there are other instances of it that I just don't get as an American, that there's just those little things, those little twists that I don't pick up on. Um, but I know the Welsh. <laughs> I've seen enough of the crown that I know the Welsh. <laughs> um, can we talk about Norman's 11 dogs? <laughs> yeah. How yeah. many of them do you think are named Rinka two or Rinka four or in lo- in loving memory of my beloved Rinka. So many. I know. I'm not sure, but I'm sh- I am sure that they're all very good boys. They're, yeah, I'm sure they're all very good boys. Um, I've read a little bit about Norman Scott's reaction to this, and he said some things about he was never that weak mm-hmm. and other things like that, uh, which obviously he would know and is 100% able to say whatever he wants about any story being told about his life. And I'm glad that he is speaking out about it in any way, shape or form. Um, I think that, that Wishaw's performance is about, I don't know, um, well, about strength rather than weakness, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's about power. It's just, about power as we associate it with our ridiculous preconceived notions of masculinity and femininity. Um, And I think it does a really good job of tearing that down. But um, yeah, I'm curious if there were any sort of like quibbles with that piece of it that either of you had before we Well, again, for me, and I co-sign, yes, if someone's making a movie about your life uh, and you disagree with it, please speak out. I think it's great that he did. Uh, I had a different interpretation of the character on screen. For me, he was not weak. He was vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was very, there were times he was, he, there was a vulnerability to the character, but not a weakness to me um, in the performance and in the writing. Uh, and that's a distinction of an important distinction. He, to me, comes across as actually very strong throughout. Um, just again, in various in various positions where he is vulnerable, he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the control. Um, whether through its um, like his his mental health struggles or his uh, you know various things that are happening in his his personal life, I I would not go too weak as a descriptor for that character, like at all. 
I agree. Yeah, no. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. And I don't have anything much else to add about that because I think you've both hit it on the head that there's not a whole lot to, there's not a whole lot else to say. Um, anything else? Oh, I did when I was reading through Wikipedia a little bit when we started this, I do want to mention the fact that the BBC did try to do a Jeremy Thorpe biopic back in 2009 with Rupert Everett playing Thorpe. Mm-hmm. And now it's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. kind of all I want. It would be very different, but it's kind of all I want. <laughs> yeah. God, I just, Grant is so good in this. There's no, the, he's very, very good. That yeah. shot you were talking about, Noel, where he's sort of staring at the ceiling, listening to his lawyer talk, and then mm-hmm. starts talking about like, well, hypothetically, I could only speculate, but... Yeah. Um, he does this thing with his nostrils where when mm-hmm. he gets frustrated, his nostrils just slightly tighten. It's so, he's just so good. The combination of playing off of his own public image and persona and history, the roles he's played in other films, and then all of this little tiny stuff, I just think it's supremely wonderful. And then you put this... <laughs> And Paddington 2 in the same like two year span. And oh my God, what magic! What best magic! Two, best two years of Hugh, Hugh Grant's life. Totally. And he's made a lot of interesting choices like that recently. He's, yeah. it's not a great film, but he's very, very good in Florence Foster Jenkins, which is also Stephen Frears, which mm-hmm. also play, trades on his public image and his history. And um, it's just latter day Hugh Grant is unstoppable <laughs> and he's really been doing that for a while i mean he started I mean, playing on his image since in like god i don't know maybe about a boy mm-hmm. right like yeah. he's first started sort of interrogating choosing projects that seems to interrogate his public image then um but it's really gotten better and better um great so we have also talked about the series as a whole so let's just jump to keenan and marcus keenan you want to jump on with us hi friends hi so what oh, did you think hi um, I am so glad you suggested this. I mean, I, I had heard about the series, but I don't know. There's just a lot of television. Um, and I don't know if I would have grabbed onto it otherwise, despite my love for both Wishaw and Grant. Um, and I thought it was a really, really interesting series. Um, I, I found um, episode two to be a horror show in spite of the fact that I scream laughed a couple of times. Um, there was something to be said, and I thought about it again here in episode three, because we had a really, really interesting contrasting scenes of um, uh, jail and police experiences across class and how you were perceived publicly and the vulnerability of uh, Norman versus the, the literal China and silver covered dishes that Thorpe gets. Um, but I was... Uh, I was really speechless about the buffoonery and like, I don't want to tell assassins uh, to really focus on their jobs and make sure they do it well and take pride in their work. But there was just like uh, a baffling um, flippancy mm-hmm. with their approach to their work as assassins and conspirators. Um, and it was just like, oh, everyone is so confident in the existing power structures that they just don't care to do a job well. Um, and uh, the job, however, is someone's life. And it, it, 
oh my God, I just found it like so baffling and sickening. I mean, and, and it was like a parade of doofuses. And I just, you like the dread starts to build. And I'm like, we haven't gotten to the last doofus yet. I'm sure of it. Who is the last doofus? And then the last doofus showed up and it was that guy. And you're like, oh no. And then he can't, like, he was trying to lie. And Norman is just like a paragon of genuine and honesty and like he is who he is and all everyone around him was transparently not being who they were except for Edna Friendship the best person in the whole world oh my <laughs> god um so yeah like I I screamed laughed a couple of times but it was also just truly one of the worst things I've ever seen um and then the scene where he's telling his story in jail and the officer immediately begins to assault him um and and the friendship's steps up and says damn day um and she like she came prepared she had notes she took care of business I just could not love her more um but yeah just I I found that to be so truly horrifying I mean obviously the judge is summing up as we saw from the the parody is horrible to everyone's ears like it's horrible immediately but as a contrast with, I mean, even that little like flicker that you were talking about with, with Grant and the attorney in the hallway, and we have the little flashes of previous sexual encounters that Thorpe has experienced. Like even that little moment just does so much to show the judge's incredible villainy. Like I was kind of enjoying the judge up to that point because he seemed so lackadaisical and like, well, I guess we'd better hear it and let's see what they have to say. And I suppose it's too late to go back. We should let him speak and all these things. And I was like, oh, maybe he's, he seems pretty chill and easygoing. Let's see how this shakes out. Guys, he's not chill and easygoing. He's <laughs> quite bad. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I have lots of feelings and I haven't summarized them very, very well. But, You've done great. Uh, I have a free podcast idea for you. Um, <laughs> you can run it alongside your favorites with Kate Kalzik. So that'll be one podcast. And then yours will be performance reviews with Keenan Caldwell, where you give job <laughs> performance reviews for people in films and television shows. So you, you could talk about like Monica, the chef, right? Or... <laughs> Or like Ally McBeal as a lawyer, Perry Mason as a private investigator, um, whatever you what like. assassins do on their own time is their own business. They're not on the clock, but like there are professional standards. I would have exactly. thought. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much, Keenan. Marcus, do you want to jump on and chat with us? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is an interesting series. It's one I probably would not have watched just like I remember hearing about it a couple of years ago but it really wasn't in my mind's eye or whatever to watch next and I'm glad it was pretty short I'm not sure I could have taken too many more episodes of this kind of uh, show um, it's definitely served well by the limited series I think I actually liked the uh, second episode the most simply because I knew they weren't successful in the assassination attempt, so I could enjoy all of their incompetence more. And just knowing, like, well, no wonder they're they're not successful because 
I think it was like most encapsulated when the one guy, I can't remember his name, is on the phone. He's like, oh, yes, I got the guy. He's great. Very discreet while he's being like hauled away in the background. That kind of encapsulated, I think, the entire uh, plot. So I didn't know, though, that the dog died. So that was rather horrifying end of that episode. It was rough. Here's a question. Have you seen John Wick? I have not, though I know what happens. Okay, good. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure you were prepared. I was not. If you ever watch John Wick, just know the dog dies. It's very important. Um, There are later dogs that don't die. So that is a thing I can say in its favor. Um, This is something I should ask Keenan. So Keenan, I might bring you back in just a second. But do you have a favorite costume from the series, Marcus? I'm putting you on the spot. Um... Not one specifically. That's I think dumb. they were all just was well done. Like a uh, British period piece isn't really the kind of show I watch most of the time. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that they always do well is costumes. The Brits, they know how to dress. Uh, great. Thank you so much, Marcus. Keenan, do you have a favorite costume you want to shout out? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't always pay as good attention as I should to menswear. And it might just be um, uh, a response from when I worked in costume shops. For some reason, the shop manager decided he wanted to meet me to be his tailor's apprentice. And tailoring menswear is just garbage. It's the worst. If you're like a millimeter off, you have to take an entire sleeve out of a garment and put everything else back in. It is I don't know why he picked me. I just wanted to sew ruffles all day and put them on petticoats. It would have been so much easier, but I was a menswear person. So I'm a little like passive aggressively, like I refuse to engage. But since you mentioned it, both Grant and Wishaw's suits and costuming were really cool and really specific. Um, Like just in terms of the shapes and figures, I mean, it's sort of relatedly, I am always distracted in British television. I can never not be distracted by the court wigs. How is it still a thing that people have to wear in court? Everyone, no matter what you're wearing for the rest of your life, you got to wear one of the wigs. How? Very silly. Um, But sort of in a similar way, like Grant was very much wearing kind of the armor and legacy of tradition. I mean, his, his shape like the the shape of the shoulders of his garments and the shapes of the trousers did change a little bit because we did how many we covered like 20 years over the course of the series we covered like a lot of time um but it was he was so much more sort of like polished in the way that anytime he was walking through the halls to his office like you had a sense of a very specific place with very specific connotations and very specific kinds of power. So the waistcoat and the jackets that went on top of it, even his hat shape was so specific and sort of armored him in a way that it was like, I'm wearing this very easily. This is not stiff, but this is pretty intense stuff. And I wear it easily because I'm in power and I know how to do this. And I probably learned it at my horrible boarding school, which they're all rife with sexual abuses and assaults my is what I'm given to understand these boys boarding schools so like no wonder they come out of this environment anyway and then you get to Norman who's constantly wearing something a little bit different his hair is changing um 
And I noticed in particular when he got out of the car and kind of like did the classic, like I'm going to tug straighten my jacket and like tug it down at the hips before I walk in. And he did look vulnerable because he was a much, he's a narrower person than Hugh Grant is, but the silhouette was also sharper and cleaner and leaner. And it made him look very, very tall and more vulnerable. But for Norman, it would also look really polished and genuine and he like he wore it really well it wasn't like well I'm putting on this suit because I have to look impressive it was I'm putting on this suit to tell my story like I I thought that was really really nice and um yeah it just he all of a sudden when he was up on the stand he seems like an incredibly contemporary modern man of his time so when he was speaking frankly about things and didn't even say at one point like oh it's it's 1970 for God's sake. Like it's not illegal anymore. It was illegal then. Like you get the sense of like, this is, this is the future. Like this, you know, and Norman's just a really interesting character because he really clearly at different points in his life behaved in ways that were alarming to people around him or behaved in ways that hurt people around him. Um, which is what Allison, you were talking about with like this trend where the victim doesn't have to be perfect. They can be a really challenging person. But like when he was wandering around Barnstable and struck up a, f- a friendship with my gal, Edna Friendship, mm-hmm. um, and he was weeping and saying, why are people so nice to me? And you're just like, my God, this person is magnetic. Like uh, he draws people in. And I don't think it's all like guile and and manipulation. It's It's not any sort of like, I'm going to finesse people to get what I want or like ingratiate myself. It just people want to he 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 draws them in and so yeah I, I thought his courtroom suit was really really smart and a great great marriage of performer to costume and yeah I totally really agree it, to quote another um tall good-looking angular very good actor who wears suits well in the Paul Thomas Anderson film Phantom Thread it's fucking chic um <laughs> It's just a really good suit. Um, all right. Thank you so much, Keenan. So now for we're going to move on and talk about Columbo. Is everybody ready for Columbo? Yes. Uh, just one more thing. Yeah, please. Uh, just one more thing. The uh, Keenan mentioned the, the suits. I did love the, uh, uh, when, when Hugh Grant, when, when they, when he's found not guilty, they brought they bring back like this shoulder up kind of like we did it kind of a thing which is the same motion and physicality that he did when we first see him interacting with norman with the dog like in the very first episode he does like this kind of sh- shoulder raise kind of thing and because of the way his suit is structured it just raises his entire like both shoulders straight up kind of disappears his neck and he just looks huge in that moment, which was probably my favorite bit of like performance, hmm. um, in costuming, perform like that, like just oh, the, because great. of the cut of the coat, right? It was yeah. really neat. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, um, good call. Yeah, it was very fun. And then yes, the music was just like, can you? There's a theme, and now we're gonna do variations on it. And now it's gonna be slow. And now it's gonna be fast. Ah, <laughs> in case you weren't sure what to feel. Well, so, thanks for yeah. watching this one with me, friends. It's been fun. It's yep. very, 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 very short. So now it's done. <laughs> Until we get season two about a famous blowjob, whenever that happens. 
someday when they make television again. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we don't have any other lingering business to talk about because we already spilled the beans on Columbo and Murder, She Wrote. So I hope that y'all join us. Where are we at with Murder, She Wrote? Uh, intimately acquainted with Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I watched so much of it when I had shingles. Um, I, <laughs> but I also watched a lot of it beforehand as well. So I, uh, I am, I can't believe no one has done Jessica Fletcher on Snatch Game level of Murder, She Wrote fandom. Yeah. Um, which first of all i can't believe no one has done jessica fletcher on snatch game um i cannot believe it jet like just imagine you you, somebody you solve mystery you could have somebody somebody else could pretend to die the bits just write themselves um i've just i love murder she grow i loved it as a kid i love it as an adult um i love angela lansbury i'm gonna have to try to control myself and not just tell anecdotes about beauty and the beast when we're watching um i'll see what i can do Okay. Well, Keenan has seen only the first two episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Marcus has not seen any Murder, She Wrote. Marcus is not sure if he's going to be able to access Peacock. Because uh, you're up in Canada, right, Marcus? So, yeah, that... Yeah, well, well, good luck. I hope you can find it, maybe. Normally, I'd say go to the library, except coronavirus, library. so don't. <laughs> don't go to the library. Um, fingers crossed that we can figure out a solution for you. But until then... It's been a lovely conversation. Yeah, I'm. Let's let's pass the baton formally to Noel. Noel, mm. here is your here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you guys are <laughs> such dorks, uh, and don't change. Never change. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.